Good morning. Hey, how is everybody doing? Good. Uh, can we give Jeremy a hand again? He's in the back. He was a good sport. Thank you, Stuber. Um, we're in the series called Step Up, as you can see. We're taking the month of August saying we want to step up, take things to the next level. And the way to do that is these things called spiritual disciplines, uh, these tools that God has given us on how we can take our next step and becoming more and more like Jesus. So last week, we looked at the spiritual discipline of meditation. We looked at Luke chapter 10 and two sisters, Mary and Martha, and how Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. And we said, uh, Martha's not bad. We just want to worship first like Mary and then work. We want Mary's heart and Martha's hands. So I gave the five-minute challenge to spend five minutes a day in meditation of just sitting at Jesus' feet and releasing those things that we need to release to him and receiving from him the things that God wants to give us. How many of you uh, were able to at least a couple times this week uh, do the five-minute challenge with meditation? A couple? Yeah, all right, good. I want to encourage you to continue that on throughout this week, too. Take the five-minute challenge and spend some time just meditating on God and who he is. Uh, today, we're going to look at the spiritual discipline of prayer. Have you ever had trouble communicating? Uh, us guys, we're not known for being the best communicators, right? Uh, sometimes uh, we can struggle with that. And I think one of the greatest challenges in marriage is learning how to communicate. And everyone said amen, right? When Kristen and I were dating, my wife Kristen, we wanted to build a good foundation of communication. So early on when we were dating, we had these things called cell phones, but you actually didn't have internet on them. I know it was crazy. You actually talked on them. And I know young people are like, you can call on this thing? I know, it's amazing. But we would do that every night. We'd call and talk. You know, how'd your day go? How was work this week? And uh, we were dating, and Kristen called, and we were talking at night, like, how'd your day go? I was like, yeah, it was, it was a full day. I was talking to my uh, supervisor, Don. I was working at a church in Wiper Lake, and I was telling him about all the stuff I got coming up. I'm, I'm getting on a plane this week and going down to Atlanta, Georgia to go to this National Youth Workers Conference. Then I'm coming back home to Minneapolis and then getting on another plane the next day and flying to upstate New York where I'm going to meet uh, Kristen, my girlfriend, all her family and friends. And I'm going to surprise her by proposing to her at her grandma's house. So I'm telling this to Kristen. <laughs> I'm relaying what I told my boss. And I accidentally told my girlfriend that I was going to propose to her. <laughs> yeah. Communication fail, right? I think we've all been there. Now, maybe you haven't accidentally told your girlfriend that you're going to propose. Um, and then it was a fun little fight because it was like, well, I guess I'm just going to have to wait to propose. She's like, I shouldn't have to wait to get a ring because of your mistake. <laughs> and um, I was like, you're absolutely right. So I, I bumped it up and did it before uh, we went there. Uh, but, you know, in today's world, there's so many ways we can communicate. It's kind of overwhelming, to be perfectly honest, because we can text, we can call, we can Facebook message. I get direct messages on Twitter now from some people, like emails, even old-fashioned snail mail. There's so many ways to communicate. You'd think, like in the 21st century, with so many ways to communicate, we'd be pros at it. We'd be just perfect at communicating, right? Well, that's not the case. And it's very similar with prayer. You'd think... You know, with the 21st century, with all these ways to communicate, and, and, and you know, those of us who've been walking with God for a long time, that we'd just be experts at prayer, and that would just come so naturally to us. But the reality is, for most of us, that's not the case. Is that maybe we've struggled 
with exactly how to pray or what we should pray or what is even the point of prayer. It feels like prayer should be this easy, simple thing, but for most of us, that just hasn't been our experience. This week, while I was uh, researching today's message, I was reading about many old kind of heroes of the faith, you know, people like Martin Luther, John Wesley, George Fox, and without fail, almost every one of these kind of heroes, saints, they'd get up and spend an hour, two hours. Martin Luther said he had so much to get done, the great reformer, he had so much to get done, he could not imagine spending less than three hours in prayer every single day before he went and did all the work that he did, starting the Lutheran church and, you know, uh, translating the Bible, all these different things. Three hours of prayer every single day because he had so much to do. He's like, I got to pray at least three hours. And that's awesome that they had this great prayer life. Like, that's really great. But you know what? If you're like me, it's not really encouraging. It's not really challenging to hear that. It's like very discouraging. It's like, man, I can't even spend 10 minutes in prayer, let alone an hour or three hours like Martin Luther. See, these giants of faith, their, their experience in prayer is so far beyond what most of us have experienced. But here's something important to remember. If you're taking notes this morning, if you have notes in your program, you can write this down. That God meets us where we are and slowly moves us along to deeper things. See, God meets us where we are, not where Martin Luther was or where other giants of the faith are, but God meets us right where we are today. And then he walks alongside of us to move us into deeper things. It, it, it's like this. Every once in a while, I'll run. I know I don't look like a runner, but I do like to run. But an occasional runner like me who might run a couple miles, I'm not going to sign up for, like, an Olympic marathon tomorrow, right? Like, people who do that, they spend their lives training, and they work at it day by day. It's the same with prayer. Don't get discouraged by these marathoners who are so far down the road. It's like, man, I could never be that way. God takes us where we are, and he wants to move us into deeper things. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. See, if we continue to exercise the spiritual discipline of prayer, we can expect to have a much richer and deeper prayer life one year from now than we do today. See, it's possible to grow in your knowledge and your experience of prayer. Just like if you've never ran anything and you start running like tomorrow, you're only going to run a little bit. But if you work out it for a whole year, you can increase your time and your distance and your stamina. It's the same with prayer. All the spiritual disciplines, they're, they're muscles. We have to use them or we lose them. And we can use our spiritual muscle of prayer, and God will take us where we are and slowly lead us into deeper things. And it's important to remember, we said this last week, that the spiritual disciplines, they don't change us. Prayer, meditation, reading our Bible. But the spiritual disciplines are key to place us into the place where God's Spirit can move us. So as we learn to grow more in prayer, as we grow in meditation, we are putting ourselves into the place where God's Spirit can do the change in our lives. Sometimes I think, though, when we start talking about prayer and we start studying it or thinking about it, we can go into it discouraged or defeated because I think some of us have been taught that everything in the universe is already set, and so things can't be changed. So if everything's set, nothing's going to change, why should we even pray? 
Well, I don't think the Bible teaches that. See, people all throughout the Bible prayed as if their prayers could and would make a difference. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 3, 9 that we are co-laborers with God to determine the outcome of events. It's more in line with the Greek philosophy of Stoicism or what I call uh, modern Christian fatalism that demands a closed universe with everything preordained, not the Bible teaching that. See, God has devised prayer as a means of enlisting us as participants in the work that he has ordained. God has devised prayer as a means of enlisting us as participants in the work he has ordained, as part of the sovereign lordship overall. See, God has the power and the wisdom to use our prayers as he sees fit to do what we could never imagine. But God invites us to participate with him in this act of creation and recreation and making a difference in the world. Here's the reality, is that we could go down this rabbit hole, and this week I thought about it. Uh, uh, how does it all work that God is sovereign, God is all-knowing, God is all-powerful, and yet he invites us to participate with him, and he invites us to pray? It's a mystery. There's a tension there. And in our Western mindset, we don't like living with mysteries. We like to have it all figured out and, and codified and, you know, uh, down in our dogma. But we have to live with a little of a bit of a mystery here. And there's two things. Here's what I know. Number one, that my good God rules, controls, and ordains all things for my good and his glory. My good God, he rules. He does everything for his glory. And number two, God invites me, God invites us to pray to him and promises to respond to our prayers. It's a mystery how that all works out. But we need to trust our God is in control. He's working all things out for his glory. At the same time, he invites us to participate with him, to pray. He asks us to pray, and he wants to respond to our prayers. And hopefully this idea that our prayers can actually change things is a liberating idea. But it also sets a tremendous responsibility before us. We are working with God to determine the future. Our prayers can change the world. What more motivation do we need to work on the spiritual discipline, the spiritual muscle of prayer? Well, we've been working our way through the book of Luke. Uh, if you're keeping track, this is episode 34 of our journey through the gospel of Luke. We're in chapter 11 now, and uh, we're going to be starting off in verse 1. And we're going to read the first 13 verses today. Uh, would you join me in prayer as we turn to God's word? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Theophilus, who uh, gratefully funded Luke so that he could investigate all that is found in his book. God, I thank you for this gospel that we've spent the last 34 weeks working our way through and how we learn to know Jesus, to be more like Jesus, and to do the things that Jesus did. God, I pray that this morning that my words would be your words, that you would speak through me. God, that uh, each one of us would have an open heart, open minds. Uh, God, as we wrestle with the mystery of prayer and how it all works, God, I, I pray that we would just be moved to take our next step into deeper things to uh, work and grow on this muscle of prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. In Luke 11, Jesus is going to tackle our biggest frustration in prayer, which is, why is it that there's times I'm praying, and I'm praying for something I know this is the will of God, and he doesn't answer it the way I think he should. Why is it I pray so hard for someone to be healed, and I know it's God's will that this person is healed because he hates sickness and death, and he doesn't answer it the way I think. 
Maybe that's one of the reasons you quit praying. Maybe that's one of the reasons you walked away from God or walked away from church. Because you thought, this is something God should do, and he didn't do it. And it's frustrating. But here's the great news, that Jesus addresses this frustration that you and I have experienced. And the reason he addresses it is because he knew we'd have these frustrations. Let's read uh, Luke 11. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. The disciples are, are with Jesus, and they hear him pray, and they're like, Jesus, we're a good Jewish boy. We've, we've memorized all these prayers. We've grown up praying. We understand prayer. But when we hear you pray, <laughs> wow, it's like you have a totally different understanding. Will you teach us to pray like you? And Jesus says, yes, I will teach you. And the first key point here is Jesus is telling us you can be taught how to pray. You can be taught how to pray. You can learn and grow in your understanding of prayer, which means there's a right way and a wrong way to pray. You can be taught how to pray. So he says, I'm going to teach you how to pray. Here we go. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. There you have it, the Lord's Prayer. But if you're like me, you're thinking, whoa, 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 wait a minute, Jesus, what is going on here? Like, if you're raised in the church, you're thinking, there's something missing here. Like, Jesus, I think you messed up your own prayer, because you got the whole, like, our Father, heart in heaven. Or, you forgot the our, our Father, heart in heaven. You got the hallowed be your name, and you got the kingdom come, but you forgot thy will be done. What in the world is going on? Jesus is misquoting the Lord's Prayer, right? What is, I don't understand. Like, come on, Jesus, everyone knows how this is supposed to go. You didn't even say it right. That's kind of weird, right? Like, what is going on here? Well, here's what's probably going on. Most of us who've learned the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, amen, all that stuff. That's from the Gospel of Matthew. And Jesus probably has taught on this a number of times. And so Matthew, in his gospel, which is slightly different, we've talked about how each gospel is their own perspective. You know, Luke is like CBS, and Matthew's like ABC, and, and, you know, Mark is like NBC, and then John, he's weirdo, and he's like the BBC out there. But Matthew, he wrote it down, the version that we all pretty much know. And so probably this is a different time. And Jesus is like, hey, you've heard me taught this before. You know, it's like, Eric, yeah, we've heard you talk about we're here to help people love God, serve others, make disciples. We get it, we get it, you know. And he's like, all right, so just a review. I've taught on this before. Here we go. You know, number one, honor God. Yep, yep, yep. Number two, pray for God's kingdom to expand. Yep. Number three, ask God for your daily needs. Number four, confess your sins. Number five, ask God to lead you and guide you away from temptation. And they're like, yep, yep, we've heard this before. Yep, okay, good. Yep, kind of like a review. And then Jesus does something that Jesus is so good at. From there, he launches into this crazy story about what happens when you don't get what you want and what you should do when you're asking for something that you think is the right thing to ask for. And you know why this is so significant? Because his disciples said Jesus teaches how to pray. He gives them a little review, and then he could have taught on anything when it came to prayer. And this is what he taught on. The specific frustration that you and I can have when it comes to prayer. Verse 5, and he said to them, so he's like, while we're on this subject of prayer, I've, you know, I've just reviewed how to pray. Now let me give you this scenario. Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey. I have nothing to set before him. 
And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. So in this time, pretty much the whole family slept in one room. And so what happens is, middle of the night, this guy has some friends come on a journey. Maybe his brother and sister-in-law drove from Colorado to visit them. And they had nothing to feed him. And they're like, we need some bread. So they go to their other friend, middle of the night. But everyone slept in the same room, and so dad's in bed with his mom and, and the wife, and all their kids are in bed, which never happens in any of our households, right? Or any of your kids end up in your bed every night? What in the world? But so the kids are in bed, and he's like, I'm not going to get out of bed. I'm going to wake up my kids, wake up my wife. No, go away, go away. And so what the disciples are thinking as Jesus tells the story, and what you're thinking right now too probably is like, I thought we were talking about prayer. Why are we talking about bread and the guy in bed and, and knocking? Like, what is going on here? What's the deal with this? And Jesus is like, just hang with me. Okay, this is one of those, you know, one of those stories I like to tell. You know, one of those parables. <clears throat> Verse 8. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his impudence, or if your Bible has a little number, it can be translated persistence, because of his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. The idea is this. This friend, he's not going to get out of bed and wake up all his kids and go in the pantry and get some bread because of his friendship. But the fact that his friend is going to keep standing there knocking over and over and over and over and over again, he's going to bother him and wake up all the neighbors. Out of pure frustration, he's going to go, good grief, fine, I'm going to get up, get you the bed, wake up my wife, wake up my kids, take the bread, leave me alone, and go. Jesus says he's not going to do it out of friendship. Just because he's irritated and the guy won't go away, he's going to finally get up and give the guy some bread. Now, let's talk a little bit about parables. We spent the month of June looking at some of Jesus' best-known parables. And what did we learn? When we read a parable, a couple questions we should ask. Number one, who are we? Because we're a character in the story. So who are we? Number two, who is God? So we learned this, like the Good Samaritan. A lot of us maybe grew up thinking we should be like the Good Samaritan, well, actually, who we are is we're the man who's beaten, lying in the road, unable to save himself. There's nothing we could do to save ourselves. And Jesus, our great Samaritan, comes and he saves us. Or the prodigal son, also better known as the prodigal sons. Who are we? We're either the younger brother who runs away and rebels, or the older brother who's religious and bitter towards the younger brother. And who's God? He's the father who reaches out and moves towards both the younger brother and the older brother, that God reaches out to the irreligious and the religious, and neither one can save themselves. Both need to move towards the Father. All right, so in parables, we're someone, God is someone. And so I'm guessing, you know, the disciples are like, okay, we, we kind of get how this going is going, right? But this one's a little confusing. Like, all right, so I think the guy knocking on the door, that's me, but then who's God in this story? Like, that would make God the grumpy guy in bed who doesn't want to get up and give me what I'm asking for. Like, Jesus, you're not making God look too good, okay? And then if we jump ahead, in Luke 18, Jesus tells another story, very similar. And actually, this parable actually starts off, Luke 18, verse 1. It says, and Jesus told this parable <clears throat> so that they would always pray and not lose heart. He says, I'm going to tell you a story so you don't lose heart, so you keep praying. 
It's a story about a judge and a widow and this widow who needs justice. And this un-God-fearing, this man who doesn't fear God, doesn't fear people. He's not a very righteous man, but he's a judge with power. And says the widow keeps coming again and again and again for justice. And he's like, no, get away, get away, get away. And Jesus says, eventually, not because the judge loves God, not because he's a righteous man, He's going to finally give in because of the widow's persistence. How she keeps coming again and again and again. He's like, just leave me alone. Fine, I'll give you justice and I'll give you what you're asking for. You listen to those two stories and you think, okay, I think I know who I am. I'm the widow who's helpless. I need justice. I need someone to come and save me. Or I'm like the guy who's banging on the door asking for something. I need some provision. I need you to provide for me, God. But Jesus, you're not making God look too good by this guy who doesn't want to get out of bed or this unjust uh, judge. You know what Jesus is saying, though? He's saying God is not bothered by your persistence. In fact, sometimes he's moved by it. God is not irritated by the fact that you keep asking and asking and asking and asking. God's not bothered by that. In fact, God is honored by your persistent, consistent prayer. God is honored by your persistent, consistent prayer. Jesus is telling us, when you pray, start with telling God's great. Tell him you've surrendered to his will. Tell him what you need. And oh yeah, don't quit asking. Don't quit asking. Don't quit asking. Because your persistent prayer has the potential to move the heart of God. Did you know that? Your persistent prayer has the potential to move the heart of God, and that is amazing. And then Jesus goes on to interpret it in case we're missing the point. In verse 9, he says, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. God wants you to ask and seek and knock and ask and seek and knock and ask and seek and knock, and don't give up. Jesus is saying, because you asked me to pray, I'm going to teach you how to pray. Keep asking. And sometimes your father's going to give in because God is honored by your persistent, consistent prayer. And then, as if we didn't understand it, verse 10. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Remember, he's talking to disciples here. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish... Well, instead of a fish, give him a serpent. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, I love that Jesus throws that in there. He's like, you guys are evil. Uh, Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, some of you are thinking, all right, it's great to keep talking about asking and seeking and knocking, but I prayed for something, and God didn't come through with me. And Jesus is like, you know what, I understand that. My good friends Mary and Martha prayed that their brother Lazarus wouldn't die, and he died. Sometimes things don't happen the way you expect them to go, even when you think you're praying the will of God. But you ask me how to pray, and I'm going to tell you how to pray. Don't give up. Don't let go until you absolutely have to, because God is honored and moved by your persistent, consistent prayer. And the other thing that happens when we ask and seek and knock and ask and seek and knock, is that God begins to do something inside of us, the asker, the seeker, the knocker. See, there's times when we get locked in on something so hard, we're praying for it. We refuse to give up. We refuse to give up. 
I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep knocking. And through that process, God reveals to us, nope, as you're praying for this, you think this is what you want. You think this is what you need. But actually, no. I have something better for you. It's over here. See, sometimes if we just pray about something and move on, we're like, oh, I guess God never answered that prayer. But when we keep coming to God and we keep asking and we keep seeking and we keep knocking, sometimes he opens the door and sometimes he reveals, nope, what you're asking for is not the right thing. You need to be asking for this over here. Before we planted Mosaic Church, before we started this church, I spent a season about a year uh, applying for other jobs. I've been a part of startup churches like this, and if you didn't know, Starting a church from scratch takes a lot of work. Like, this is a gymnasium. If you can't tell, we have to set up all this stuff, and you have to get people on board, and it just takes a lot of work. And I was like, I don't want to do that, God. So I said, I want to go to a safe church with, you know, you know, stained glass windows and pews, which look exactly like this right now, and, you know, just go to a nice, safe church. And so I applied for some positions, and there's a church I was in process with from October till April. That's a long time to job search, to be in process with one church. Uh, and through it all, you know, we uh, got down one of the final two candidates. It was a converged church, and uh, it was in Maple Wood, not Maple Grove. So it was very close. And man, we prayed hard for this. <coughs> Excuse me. I like, God, this is your will. I know it is. We feel called to Minnesota. We were in Wisconsin at the time, and we wanted to be back in the land of Vikings, not Packer fans. And, uh, you know, it had the word maple in it. So it's like, of course, this is right, right? And, and we prayed, and we, we asked, and we, we sought, and we knocked after God's heart from October through May, and then uh, April, and finally got the word, they're going to hire the other guy. And man, talk about being crushed, because we felt like this is what God wanted for us. But through that, as we kept asking and seeking and knocking, you know, God revealed, this is what you think you want, but we got something better for you. And you're about half right. It's not maple wood. It's maple grove you're supposed to be in. And God slowly revealed that to us as we kept asking and we kept seeking and we kept knocking. Here's what I'm, here's what I'm saying. Here's what I know from experience. So you pray persistently and God will do something. Every once in a while, he'll do the exact same thing you've asked for. But you can almost be sure it's not going to happen in your timetable or your schedule. And when he does, you'll be like, whoa, that was amazing, God. But God is not irritated by our persistent, consistent prayer. God is honored by our persistent, consistent prayer. Sometimes he says, yes, I'm going to come to the door. I'm going to give you the bread. I'm going to give you what you're asking for because you kept asking and seeking and knocking. But he does something every time. Because Jesus said, if you ask, you will receive. You're gonna, if you knock, you're going to hear something. If you seek, you're going to find something. If you knock, a door is going to be open. See, when you grab a hold of something, you tell God, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up. This is what you're saying to God. You're saying, God, you're the great God, and I know you are able to do this. And God, you know what? I think this is in your will, and I'm committed to your will. I'm going to keep asking you to do the thing that I think is in your will because I'm surrendered to you. And I'm acknowledging my dependence on you, God. Because if you don't do this, it's not going to happen. If you don't heal this relationship with my spouse, it's not going to happen. If you don't provide a job for me, I'm going to lose everything. If you don't heal my heart, take away my anxiety, my depression, heal me physically, I'm never going to be well. I need you to do this, God. You're the great God. I know that you can do this, but I'm surrendered to your will. 
I'm dependent on you, and until I hear differently, I'm going to keep asking. I'm going to keep seeking. I'm going to keep knocking. And God says, I like that. I'm honored by that. I'm moved by your persistent, consistent prayers. Here's my question for you. Are you persistent in your prayers? Be honest with yourself. Is there anything you're so locked in on, that you're so burdened by, that you're so concerned with, but every single time you pray, you're saying, God, I know this seems impossible. Please, God, it seems impossible. With my last breath, I'm going to pray, and I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep praying about this. I'm not going to give up. Is there anything you're that consumed about in your prayers? Are you just kind of praying basic kind of, God, help me get through the day? Is there anything you're honoring God with because of the magnitude of your request? Is there anything you're so passionately concerned with that you refuse to not knock on the door of heaven? Is there anything that big going on in your life? If not, you're missing out on an opportunity for God to do something great in this world. And you're missing out on an opportunity to see God do something great in you. Are you praying big, bold prayers? Here's a challenge. I don't like to do this very often because it might sting a little. But if you look back at your prayers in the last week, and I'm looking at myself too, if God answered yes and did exactly what you wanted in everything you prayed this last week, how different would the world look? How different would your family look? Your neighborhood, your city? Or are you just kind of praying about little basic things? God wants us to ask and seek and knock and pray these bold prayers so that he can come through in a huge way. <coughs> Jesus could have talked about a dozen different things when it came to prayer. But he said, I want to focus on this one thing because this is huge. When you pray, don't give up. Keep asking. And just because heaven is silent doesn't mean anything. Keep asking. Just because no one has come to the door yet, keep knocking. And just because you haven't found it yet, keep seeking. Because God is honored by our consistent, persistent prayers. Charles Spurgeon said this. He's a pastor from the 18th century. My heart has no deeper conviction than this, that prayer is the most efficient spiritual agency in the universe next to the Holy Ghost. See, God has chosen to work through people. The Bible shares many accounts where God waited to act until his people prayed. It was his will to do it, but he waited until people prayed so he could work through people. There's a fancy word for this when it comes to prayer. It's called intercession. Intercession. And Webster defines intercession as to go or pass between, to act between parties with a view to reconcile those who differ or contend, to interpose, to mediate. Intercession, you can write this down, it's just to go between. It's, it's a go between. Intercession happens daily in our courts with lawyers interceding for clients and offices and businesses when secretaries or associates go between representing one another. Nothing particularly spiritual about the idea of intercession. It involves delegation, authority, representation. Let's think about this in concept of, of creation and the fall. See, God created Adam to be his intercessor, to represent God on planet Earth. Literally, Adam was God's intercessor or mediator on Earth. However, Adam failed. He messed up. So God had to send another 
the final Adam, Jesus, who's supposed to fix what the first Adam messed up. And Jesus Christ came to represent God to earth. He became the intercessor or mediator going between and representing God to humanity. The Bible says we need to just simply look at Jesus to see who God is. That Jesus is God clothed in flesh who made his dwelling among his people so that we could know God. But the great news is that Jesus doesn't just represent God to us. That Jesus represents us to God. It goes both ways. Jesus represents man to God. He's our great advocate. I picture it this way. In my prayers, I'm approaching the throne of God. And Jesus is standing there. And, and as I walk up to the throne, Jesus is there and he's like, hey, come with me. And, and, and as we walk to God the Father, he says, hey, Father, do you remember Eric? He's coming in my name. And, and I, I want you to see him not on his own merits or his own righteousness, but he's here based on mine. He's here in my name. I've come in between him and you. And he's a few things to ask you. And the father says, of course I remember, Eric. Come boldly. Bring your requests. Jesus is our mediator, our intercessor. and We can approach boldly as we ask and seek and knock because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. But Jesus also needs a human on earth to represent him, just as the Father did. The Father needed Jesus, and Jesus' humans are us, the church. Jesus said in John 20, As the Father has sent me, I also send you. If you are a follower of Jesus, then he has sent you to be his representative to intercede for people. Jesus wants you to intercede through consistent, persistent prayer. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking on the doors of heaven. This week, my kind of five-minute challenge for you this week is this. When you pray, and however you do that, standing, sitting, kneeling, walking, I want you to think of some people that you can be an intercessor for. You can be a mediator, a go-between, like a lawyer or an associate. And as you pray, picture them in your mind. Picture yourself walking over to them, grabbing their hand. Maybe you're praying for your spouse. Maybe you're praying for your children. Maybe you're praying for a coworker. And then walk them over to where you know Jesus is and, 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 and bring them to Jesus. Say, Jesus, this is my wife. I'm bringing her to you, and I, I'm, I'm interceding. I'm going between. I, I'm, I'm lifting up this need they have to you. They need to be healed. They need to be restored. Or, Jesus, there's my coworker, and he doesn't know you, but I'm going to bring him over, and I, I'm praying that, that he would know you, so please keep working on his heart. Keep, keep having the Holy Spirit draw him to you. Help me to know what I can do so he can find truth and healing and hope for the first time. This week, as you pray, have a couple names that you're praying for. And just understand the awesome privilege and responsibility that we have to be God's intercessor. To bring people to Jesus through our prayers. And that as we approach the throne of God, we can come boldly, because we're not coming on our own merits, our own righteousness, but we're coming through Jesus and in his name. And Jesus says, keep asking, 
Keep seeking. Keep knocking. And as you are persistent and consistent in your prayers, Jesus will either reveal things in our heart that we need to change our prayers, or he will do what we're asking for. Something will happen inside of us through our prayers. I'm going to invite the band to come up. Would you stand with me? As we close our service, sometimes we do this before we receive our offering. Is we like to give you time to just pause and reflect. And uh, the worship band is going to play a song. It's just a response song. I encourage you, take this as an opportunity to think and reflect about what you heard this morning. Maybe this morning there's someone that God's put on your heart that you need to, in your mind, grab their hand and bring them to Jesus as you intercede, as you pray for them. As we say, God, we're surrendered to your will. We want to do what you want to do. Your kingdom come here on earth. And uh, before we sing that, I just want to give us, uh, we're going to take one minute and uh, just have a moment of silence. We talked about this last week, it's good to slow down. But the enemy uses noise, hurry, and crowds to detract us from Jesus. From Jesus. Uh, so we're not going to do anything about the crowds this morning, but we can uh, do something about the noise and the hurry. Let's take a moment, one minute, and we're going to reflect uh, and say, Jesus, what is it that you want me to do? Think, and uh, then we'll sing this song. Uh, let's take a minute and reflect.